0: The Pantheon is in
1: Rome. What's the Pantheon? Pan, um, many deistic, many gods.
0: Oh, Pantheon. Yeah, that'd be yep, many gods. Yeah, yeah. Pantheon. Because
1: so, that is a shrine for several things, not Par, just.
0: Parthenon is, is I it, guess, in Greece. Maybe, maybe more accurately that's in what Greece. We were talking. Okay, sorry. <laughs>
1: <laughs> looks like we need to issue a correction. <laughs> Welcome to Unimed's Innovation Overground, where we dig into some of those amazing discoveries we often hear about, but never actually touch our lives. Uh, We want to look at some of those academic innovations and figure out what we can do to help push those guys across the finish line into actual things. Thank you for joining us. We're sponsored by Unimed, the Technology Transfer and Commercialization Office at the University of Nebraska. I'm joined by... Tyler Scher and Joe Rungy. My name is Charlie Litton. I guess I don't really say that very often, but... <laughs> Your name is Charlie Litton. I don't Litton. know if anybody cares. Uh, Joe is a patent lawyer in our office. Hi, Joe. Hi, how you doing? Not bad, thanks for asking. And Tyler Scher is a licensing associate in our office. Yeah, hi, Charlie. Okay. Charlie Litton. Sorry to wake
0: you. <laughs> um, Litton, comma Charlie. And on that note, please take a moment to leave a review of the podcast. Please tell your friends we're looking to be the front porch of all university innovation, including uh, everywhere in the world. I don't know why I said that. In addition, uh, please make a note to look at the feature technology included in the program notes. Every week it's something cool,
1: this week especially so. Yes, sir. That's uh, we, yeah, we do want to talk about innovations everywhere, not just at Nebraska. Um, you know, but on that note. I do want to go over something that's kind of been in the news a lot. I think it's kind of an important subject, and that's general border security um, I know that you know there's there's a lot of different ways to get things or i don't know
0: uh, I think one of the out. ways universities can assist. In making the world a better place our technologies focused on the big problems of the day yeah. and you know one of the discussions that I think we're having nationally and politically is what is the best way to secure the border right and and I think that not just our
1: land-based borders but ports and things like that too yeah right? Right. and, and I, yeah one of the things that, that
0: like I think is, is an important parameter is like there is so much new technology available that that create new options like what can we do in order to um, bring some new ideas to the discussion around security so that we make an informed discussion nationally right right and i think there's a lot of really cool things from the universities from universities around the world what that have you seen consider. that's out there so i i think like uh a lot of them involve how the internet has changed what security can do right? right i mean if you think about like security and the thing that's like really tricky about it is you know back in the day you would have someone walking the perimeter, right? And right. The, the decision for security was entirely based on that person's ability you to put, identify. Put threats. a couple of
1: spotlights on a tower or something like that. Right, then, yeah. right.
0: But in the end, it's someone making a decision is there anything happening and is it a threat? Right? Mm-hmm. right. And like yeah. there's some good parts to that. Like human beings are pretty good at that decision. Pretty good. General, BS Detectors. Right. Yep. You know, we can look at something, whether it's fishy or not. But, you know, there's also ways to trick human beings. Right. I mean, and they're pretty consistent. Move in the dark, you know. Right. Uh, Go around the checkpoint. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I mean, I think like part of the discussion we're having right now is, you know, part of the cost of, of securing anything is the cost of, you know, paying someone to monitor it. And so one of the things that we can do with technology is we can make those guardians ability, we can expand them. We can make one person watching the border worth, you know, 5 or 10. And so cloning, one of th- cloning technology. That's it. What we have <laughs> is we have a a clonemat. <laughs> Sorry. Takes nickels. Who has nickels? <clears throat> No. Um, uh, you know One of the things that, that kind of uh, comes up even in the discussion right now is drones, right? Like how, how can we use drones in okay. order to enhance security? And getting a drone to fly over the areas that we need to examine, that in and of itself isn't particularly difficult. The thing that's, that's hard with drones is teaching them to sort of find things, right? Like if you're flying a drone
1: uh, over uh, – Oh, you're talking about like basically automating them so that they're looking for themselves and then alerting – the human interfacer right So when there's something worth looking at so
0: if I lose my cat in the woods right and I mean yeah. it's a great cat and so everyone's going to be looking for this sure. cat
1: sure I will be right
0: there for you man. right I'll probably just be crying on your shoulder. Mrs. Snuffles? (laughs) My cat's name is Niles. Cool. Hey, Niles. How you doing, buddy? Um, Big listener, Niles. He's a terrible cat, actually. I wouldn't spend 20 minutes looking for him. But if I would. What makes
1: Niles such a bad cat?
0: Oh, he's like 200 years old, and all he does is kind of just, he has this horrible meow, and and whenever I'm on the phone, he just decides to wake up and start howling inconsolably.
1: Okay. Which maybe I'm just a bad cat. I, th- I think we
0: need him in the studio, actually. It's All right, <laughs> right. We're bringing Niles next
1: 200 time. 200 is old for a cat.
0: He is. He's is the that Methusel in cat years?
1: <laughs> the Methuselah.
0: I don't know. I've only been around. I inherited him. All right. So when we're looking, when
1: we're, I guess now we want to find Niles. So we're
0: trying to find Niles. And the problem is, is Niles is small. And he's not brightly colored, you know, and, and if he was hiding like in, you know, a forest, you know, for you some reason time. we can't hear him. But let's just assume Niles is, yep. you know, visible from the air. He's lost in the desert. Right. So it's tricky to train drones to be able to find their, you know, one particular thing amongst all the other objects in the world. And so uh, there's an invention that comes out of the University of California. Um, it was invented by a, a team of inventors led by Tara Javidi. And what they did is they would fly drones uh, through a variety of different environments and they would hide a basketball and they would have the drone try to find the basketball or they would explicitly remove the basketball and see if the drone would say, yep, There's no basketball here because both are like really, really important. Right. Interesting. And in in using those studies, they were able to really train the drone how to look specifically. And a basketball is like a really good place to start, right? Because it's small, right? Yeah. Niles is approximately basketball sized. He's it'd be easier to find it because it's like bright orange, right? But it's you know not that bright of an orange. It's not like it's fluorescent, you know. It's not like light up basketball or anything like that. And so uh, they published this really cool paper in uh, the IEEE, and it kind of showed their ability to gradually learn. Not just how to find the basketball, but how to rule out when the basketball wasn't there. And so technologies like these are like really, really important, right? Because, you know, um, again, we we talk a lot about sci-fi tropes, right? Oh, we'll have a drone, right? Right, yeah. Well, the drone is useful because someone can kind of look at it, right? But if you have a drone, you need a drone operator. And if you're trying to secure a large space, right, for every drone... Or maybe every three drones, I don't know, you got a really good operator. But what would be really great is if you had a fleet of totally automated drones that were looking for whatever you were. And this is applicable well beyond border security, right? There's lots of things that get lost, you know wherever and if you wanted to use drones to search for them then you know it's very important to get more and more efficient
1: algorithms would this have applications and being able to pick individuals out of a crowd or anything like that you know
0: i think that the the algorithm is much more focused on trying to find optimal routes to sort of search for things and okay. and locate it. and so i think the way that the 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 algorithm was trained was to look for objects in wide open spaces. So this is largely okay. driven towards how do we find the one thing out in the wilderness for right? the thing
1: that doesn't belong. necessarily. right. Okay. Or,
0: you know, for example, if you're, uh, if you're, you know, agriculture has tons of applications for drones, because sure. farms are huge. And so if you, you know, we're losing a uh, livestock, for example, if you had one that was away from the herd, this would be a really efficient way to go oh, to, okay. to find it. Cause it would stick out. Right. Um, so largely they're looking at applications in like, um, disaster response in in agriculture, stuff like that, you know, big land management sort of sure. issues. Okay. Um, so we've been talking a bit about artificial intelligence recently. And and I think that um, another mechanism that is, is sort of related to the drone application, maybe a bit closer to kind of picking out a face in a crowd, for example, is, you know, when you have artificial intelligence that you're teaching for particular tasks, it's more and more difficult to get them to pick out, like, really specific things, like a face, for example. Because, mm-hmm. you know, it's it's hard for us to sort of tell a computer what a face looks like, right? You know, I mean, like, sure. you yeah. know, distinctions you make between complex objects, they're they're a little bit harder to sort of, you know, break down to Charlie's nose to eye ratio. I imagine, I
1: imagine that's complicated a complicated program because, I mean, humans have a hard time mm-hmm. picking out. Humans, right?
0: Yeah, they've got those like funny memes like is it a dog or a bagel, right? And you crop a picture and it's actually really hard to tell, yeah. right? If it's you know <clears throat> two dogs sleeping in a pile or you know a delicious bagel. I don't know why I thought <laughs> of that. Um, <laughs> moving All right. on. So yeah, so, so this, uh there's a group uh, out of Colombia okay. uh, led by uh, Dr. Chang and what
1: if you love Colombia so much, why don't you marry it? I uh, if God would Every... let me. <laughs> 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 you know? Sorry,
0: go ahead. No, it's it's kind of a sore spot.
1: <laughs> anyway, so what's Columbia working? What else is Columbia working on? So what they should t- pay us.
0: I know. It's called Columbia. We should get some Columbia fun bucks.
1: <laughs> Columbia, Columbia fun I
0: just want yeah maybe a hat. Just maybe a quarter's tuition. You know. Yeah, it really
1: help. That would help.
0: It would. Yes. Yes. A, Colum- right. a couple of Columbia coasters. That's true. A Columbia koozie. That's my new. Uh, <laughs> Easy listening thing. Okay, so what else else is Columbia looking at? So what they did is uh, they did a machine learning algorithm for image recognition, and they used kind of all the standard parameters to sort of teach the computer, you know, is it a dog or is it a bagel? But in addition to that, they were having human uh, watchers view it, and they they stuck EEG um, helmets on them to look at their brain response to particular images. And so the idea is is there's the like gross response, dog, bagel, bagel, dog, right? But then there's also the, the, the subtle neuronal data that kind of comes with it of what the biological response of, of image recognition is. And so when you're doing the initial matrix to sort of train the artificial intelligence to distinguish one image from another, you have all of this brain data that goes with it as well. And mm. by integrating that into the algorithm, they made something that was much more efficient, at being able to do image recognition interesting, because you're taking all of this unconscious human data, the things like we don't even, un- I think like one of the things that's really important is, you know, and, and I'm sure Tyler can back this up, but, there's not particularly great understanding of how our brains work, right? Like we're creating artificial intelligence without really understanding what makes human beings. intelligent. What makes natural intelligence,
1: actual intelligence. (laughs) It almost sounds like you need to allow this artificial intelligence to make mistakes to be a true artificial intelligence.
0: Well, and and so I think like that's a really good point, right? Because like what Tyler talks about is you speed up decision process. It's not that, what is it? Deep. No, Alpha 1. Alpha 0. Alpha yeah, 0. From Deep mind. They're not yeah, yeah. too Alpha 1 yet. Um, but Alpha 0 can you know, beat me in chess because it plays you know, 14 million games of chess before I even finish one. Right? It's not a particularly great chess player. It just makes all the mistakes you know, exactly. and, and figures out all the models. Yep. But it does that with chess really well because chess has really simple rules. Right? Mm-hmm. But when you're trying to like, figure out how do human beings recognize objects... When you just break down to the way the objects look, maybe that's not enough, right? Maybe there's more of that process that's going on that we're not conscious of, and so that's why this that's was such this an is interesting technology. Yeah, to trying to, do. Yeah, okay. to kind of train the artificial intelligence to think is, like a human, to a think bit. like a human without understanding fully how a human does it. But what, what, what they I do mean. is they they add data into it. They can measure, you know, so they can index the image mm-hmm. recognition to the particular patterns of EEG. Yeah, activity. that's crazy. So you know. Uh, Charlie, I know how much you love concrete. <laughs> yes, I dream of concrete. So I,
1: do we have time for a concrete thing? Yeah, I'm curious now. Okay. I did have a, in a former life, I, I worked in a in heavy construction. And I was involved in the production of concrete. Yes. And so it's just something I'm familiar with. Oh, you were. That's never come up before. Yeah. <laughs> really? <laughs>
0: My kids, whatever I'm sarcastic, say, "Oh, you didn't use a sarcastic voice." Now I feel like a moron. <laughs> <laughs> That's what my my son just said that to me last week. Yeah. Oh my gosh! Uh. <laughs> so, out of the uh, University of Wisconsin Research Foundation or WARF, um, is one of the most. You op- know, I don't
1: want to hear it now because now you hurt my feelings. I'm sorry, <laughs> Fine. no. What I'm curious, not go ahead.
0: So, um, concrete just crumbles, right? Unless it's reinforced with rebar. But rebar is made out of steel, so it corrodes. Yeah. So, like, concrete over time, when the rebar breaks down, then the concrete... Re- so, um, rebar still needs to be made out of steel. I actually spent some time looking for, like, rebar alternatives. That's why I really wanted... Well, they used
1: to make some uh, um, fiberglass
0: bolts for... Okay, so can you explain that to me though? Because they don't seem to use it as much. Like, is the but fiberglass expensive? I think. Oh, they expensive. expensive. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So what we would use is when we were have because you know, we were dealing, we were pouring concrete, and it was in a very, it was we we're pouring in water essentially. Right. And so what they really want to do is when you're using that steel reinforcement, you want it to go in clean. You don't want it to be pre-rusted. Right. Because that rust, what it does, is it expands the metal. Right. And the metal expands, it's like ice, and mm. it just it just oh. makes the concrete explode. And it I just so thought so it weakened it, it and, and then like it can't. No, it, get... it actually it actually creates fractures in there, but it's got the steel in there, so it still remains strong. Right. But you know, but you know, you look at the Roman concrete they used, and you know, in the in the, in the was it the Parthenon? I'm glad
0: you get that mixed up too, because I can never remember par- Pantheon versus pan- Parthenon. I,
1: yeah, I can't get it right. It, which one is it? It's the, was... it's the Parthenon. It's the Parthenon, right? Yeah, yeah. So it's yep. the largest non-steel reinstructured. And that is what a PhD gets you. Yes, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> no, but so, they don't use steel, so it's not necessary. It'll yeah. last longer without steel, but like you said, it will it will crumble.
0: But that totally explains why this invention the way it is, because I didn't understand that part. So yeah. what it is is they use it's a splice system to connect the 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 rebar, so it doesn't replace the the steel in the rebar. It's just this sort of mechanism by which you can kind of connect them, and so um, this was um, this was invented by Michael Olivia. Um, out of civil engineering in at oh. Wisconsin. And he came up with this polymeric splice connector. So you can connect the rebar together, but it's still steel rebar. And so I wonder if, you know, these are, are small junctures to sort of find the most vulnerable part of the rebar to corrosion or something along those lines. Hmm. But by replacing some element of it that still has this polymer, which adds sufficient strength, you're able to substantially increase the long livedness well, so of the rebar. rebar. So
1: th- basically it's threaded. Right. Right. And so what they have are these, these big – well, they're, they're nuts like a, like you would have for right. a, like a bolt. Right. And mm-hmm. so you just thread through two pieces of rebar together. Right. I so understand. I think what they
0: do is instead of that, they've got – essentially they splice them together in sort of one continuous piece. But they do that with a, a sort of polymeric connector.
1: Hmm. Okay.
0: And Dr. Libby, I'm very sorry if I'm getting this wrong. Yeah, I'm not sure idea what the benefit is, is there. by by sort of protecting the juncture points between the rebar, okay. then you are, you know, um, cutting down on the total amount of steel, yet keeping the amount of steel sort of present that's in there. And I wonder if those are the areas that are, that are of particular risk for corrosion. I and mean, hmm. that's what makes hmm. sense to me, that you would, hmm. you know, expect that at the ends and the tips. I mean, if you just look at like a, a truck, right, where do they always start rusting? It's... Around the the wheel wells and right, yeah, you know, it's but, a, okay. But maybe that's just more. That's the business end of it.
1: Yeah, I don't know. I've never. Yeah, I don't know exactly what goes what rusts out first on when that uh, in that reinforcement. But that's why you see a lot of bridges and stuff are going bad because they use all that steel reinforcement. Right. But yet the the aqueducts in Italy are still fine because their the steel isn't in there.
0: Right. But they didn't have trucks driving on them.
1: <clears throat> no. Yeah. yeah not they, as far they, as we know. They can't right. handle the same force. Maybe yeah, maybe yeah. elephants. True. <laughs> I don't know what Hannibal was doing. He might have washed a couple of elephants Can across Can you imagine, like,
0: thing? the Romans, like, oh, there's another elephant clog in the aqueduct. Uh, God, Thank a, God we didn't put rebar there, in that there's stuff. A, there's <laughs> an
1: elephant jackknife on, <laughs> elephant on jack. I-1. It's like the boarding <laughs> zoo. <High-centered. laughs> oh, we have a jackknife elephant uh, on I-97. The Appian Way is all backed up <laughs> all the way to Tuscany. All right. Okay. All right. On that note, I think it's time to come to ground. <laughs> thank you for joining us on Innovation Overground. Check the program notes. Uh, we'll have some links there to some some cool stuff. There. AI AI rebar. AI rebar and what else do we have? Uh, drones. Drones. And the answer was drones. <laughs> <laughs> the answer was drones. All right. Thank you for joining us for Tyler Sher and Joe Ruggiero and Charlie Litton on the Innovation Overground.